Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to Season 2 of the Road End Podcast. Each episode, we will speak to a new guest, get to know them, and hear their stories about Liverpool Football Club. Hello everyone and welcome to Season 2 of the Road End Podcast. Today I'm joined by former Red, Neil Meller. Neil was part of the brilliant Rafa Benitez era at Liverpool and scored plenty of goals throughout his career. First of all, Neil, thanks for joining. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Love the background. Mine's better than mine. I've got a picture <laughs> of Istanbul in the background, but you've got uh, Anfield. Looks magnificent. I, I mean, I wish I was on that picture rather than sat in my kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> so let's start with how you became a footballer then. So what point in your youth did you think I'm good enough? Probably when I was about eight or nine. I never thought I was good enough. I always had the dream to want to become a professional football player. But when I was eight... I used to play two years above myself at grassroots level. So I'd be scoring 50 goals a season, playing against lads that were two years above me. And it got to the stage where the council actually said, for your safety, you can't play anymore. I was 10, playing against under 12s, but scoring every week. And, and they wouldn't let me play because physically they said that it would be unfair on me. So um, so I had to leave the grassroots. And that was where my dad, because he was at Man City, said, right, I'll take you to uh, to a professional club. And that's where I started at, at City from the age of 10. And, and um, it wasn't until 16 before I joined Liverpool. So that's how it all started for me. Just love playing football, scoring goals. And that's all I thought I had to do on the pitch, obviously, obviously as, a, as a young boy. But um, yeah, my dream was to be a football player from, from a young age. But that was how it all started young as a youngster. So how did the move come about from City to Liverpool? Well, I was. Um, it didn't work out at City. I wasn't. They didn't have an under sixteen team, so I said, "Well, what's the point of me being here?" Because I was just on the bench for the seventeens, mm. and they were like, "Right, fine, you can leave." So I was like, "I've been your top scorer for whatever it was, six years." So my dad said, "Right, we're leaving," um, and obviously I was upset, thinking that my football dream was over. So I left City, and, and they were fine about that. I carried on at my school. I played for England schoolboys. I scored five goals in a game, and that was when pretty much. Quite a few teams came knocking, Liverpool being one of them. City asked me back. I was like, no chance. You've said no, so I'm not coming back. Uh, United, I was like, no chance. I prefer to sign for Stockport County than Man United. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Liverpool offered me a trial and that was how it all, all began. But it was only on the back of scoring five goals in that uh, England schoolboys game. So you seem to bag goals for fun at youth level, especially reserve level, working under um, Joe Corrigan. Before you stepping up to the first team, so what was the transition like from reserve football to let's say, Premier League football? Every step up was was big, from under-19s to reserves. you got to remember that back then in the reserve, sort of early 2000s, you used to always have decent sides. You know, mm. we'd always have three or four, maybe even more, first-team players that hadn't played at the weekend playing for us. 
Number one game, we had like Gary McAllister, Milan Barros, Marcus Babbles, Smyser, maybe Henshaw. Um, Dudek might have been out of the game. Lippmann, I mean, some of the players that used to play in the reses, it was just mad. So, so, so back then when I was playing reses, like, I know I'm up against a few first team players. So, so it was a big step up. So if I could handle that, which I could, I knew the next step, I wasn't too far away. And then obviously the first team, the big difference is the fans, because there's no fans there at 19's games, no fans there for Rossi's games. But the first team games, they're the ones that matter. You, you've got Anfield behind you there, you've got 50,000 fans demanding that your first touch is right, your pass is right, and that you contribute to the game. And that's the biggest factor. How can you deal with that mentally? That was what I found was the biggest challenge from, from going from youth football to, to first team. But I loved it. Absolutely loved it. And yes, yeah, scored goals. And that was my biggest strength. Um, and it was something that I, I always enjoyed doing, whether it was matches or training. Big Chris Kirkland, who's a friend of mine, obviously ex-Liverpool goalkeeper. I remember scoring loads in training past him and I'd celebrate as if as if it was a match day. And he'd be like, what are you doing? I was like, I've scored a goal. I'm celebrating past you. Um, and the coach is like that as well, because I enjoyed scoring. So talking about Chris Kirkland, let's speak about his favourite subject, the Arsenal goal. I know he goes on a lot that you talk about it a lot. <laughs> and um, my season ticket from a young lad until my late teens was um, the Upper Annie Road. So when the ball at the back of the net, we were pretty much behind it, me and my dad, and we could see it just flying. <laughs> what was that feeling like when that ball at the net? Yeah, I'm surprised you stayed till the end. Some fans must have thought that's it, one all, take a point. But um, do you know what? I love hearing the stories about where the fans were, whether it was in Anfield, whether it was in a boozer somewhere or a different part of the world. Even non-Liverpool fans, you know, Spurs fans said, oh, I really enjoyed that goal. So I quite enjoy hearing all those stories. But for me, it was just a case of maybe being surprised Rafa hadn't brought me off. He kept me on for the full game. And I was, obviously, it was just there to hit. And I was an instinctive centre-forward and thought, bang, I'm hitting this. And uh, when it hit the net, it was one of those moments which, which, which even now I think back to, and I just wanted to, to take it all in, but enjoy it with the fans, you know, by the yeah. cop. And I just, I just didn't want to go back to the halfway line to kick off again. I just wanted to stay there and just proper milk it with the fans because it was it was a personal moment for me. Obviously, we'd beaten Arsenal as well, who were a top side. But that was where the buzz was, seeing the fans. And yeah, I scored loads of goals in youth games and reserve games, but to stand in front of the cop and, and just enjoy that winning goal moment was something that I'll, I'll never forget. Let's move to Olympiacos. Let's say the goals you've scored and the games you've been involved in for Liverpool, it always felt like they were massive games. And that night, I remember going to ground thinking, we've got to do this at Anfield. Everyone fancies it because it was bouncing. I remember it bouncing. Coming off the bench, what was the message from Benitez? I didn't listen to him. I was fuming that he hadn't brought me on earlier. Um, I think when, when people say Olympiacos, they forget that Olympiacos were decent. They were top of the group going into match day six. They'd beaten us at their place 1-0, so it was a tough game. They had, obviously, Rivaldo, who'd scored in the opening half. It was 1-0 down at half-time. And we knew, because of the way it worked out with the Champions League, it's always confusing, it goal difference, head-to-heads. Yeah. We had to score three goals in the second half to go through. And I remember at half-time, because I was on the bench, just staring at Rafa saying, bring me on, because you need goals. And your goal scorer, bring me on. And he blanked me, so I was absolutely fuming. And so for the entire second half, I was warming up and down uh, by the main stand towards the cop, just staring at Rafa, looking at the game, thinking, when is he going to bring me on? To be fair, Pongol scored early doors. He brought Pongol yeah. on for me. He, he wasn't a goal scorer, but a good player. Um, I was thinking, what a genius to bring him on because he scored a goal rather than me. But but then the game was sort of petering, petering out a 1-1, thinking we're not going to do this. He brought me on. 
I scored a goal and the goal I scored is sort of a bit of a forgotten goal because of how good Steven Gerrard's was the next yeah. one. Because in lockdown, and obviously everyone was doing things in lockdown, it was a difficult time for, for everyone around the world. We recreated the Gerrard goal in my back garden with my kids. I've so seen I've, got, that. I've got the Mella jersey on, I found the Gerrard one, put my lad in that, my little girl Carragher. Got a black jumper, stuck the misses in goal as the Olympiacos keeper. And so we recreated that. It was a bit of fun. And we posted it, whatever, on, on social media. And it wasn't until the kids went back to school that my little lad came back and went, Dad, I never knew you scored in that game. I, was like, <laughs> I scored in that game. I forgot to mention it. So it was a bit of a forgotten goal. But it, it was an important goal because it, it gave us a lift again then before Stevie got that, that wonder goal. The famous line, which I'll play in audio as well of that, for anyone who hasn't heard it or the next generation of kids. Miller, lovely cushion header for Gerard. Oh, you beauty! What a hit, son! What a hit! The cushions header. Do you think anyone else could have scored that goal? No, I, I mean, run a zoom now. You can see my forehead, and my forehead's small, so it's just the header is it's a difficult thing for me. I didn't get many headers in my career, but when the ball was on the edge of the box, it was a choice of two players. It was Stephen Gerrard or John Arnarisa, who's Right foot, we're probably at the target at about one in 700 shots. So I thought, I'm not, I don't fancy Ginger's chances there. So I've put it on Stevie and Stevie being Stephen Gerrard just produced a wonder moment. And it was meant to be, you, you know, the way he struck it, the way it was in front of the carp, the, of how important that goal was. And what what's nice is that, yeah, I played a, a part in it by setting him up, but Stevie achieved so much in his career. He's was, he was one of Liverpool's greatest ever players, but he still remembers that moment and still... It's still an important part of his career. So it's nice to have, have played a little part in what was an unbelievable career for Stephen Gerrard because he, he'll never forget that night. I'll never forget it. Liverpool fans won't because of what we went on to achieve. But the atmosphere, like you said, it was bouncy. It was the best I experienced as a player. The only atmosphere that bettered it was Chelsea in the semi. That was just, it was just an unbelievable atmosphere. That night, it sort of felt like it's ours. I, d I don't know what it was. I think it was just the way everything panned out. The belief came about then, didn't it? Once that goal went in and we got through that game, the belief was there. Everyone was thinking, it's in our hands. This, the, we're getting there. It's, it's, it's happening. We're going to win the Champions League. And obviously the, the Chelsea game and so on was just another step in that direction, weren't it? Yeah, we, we were written off all the way through it. You know, not yeah. just the group there, but Leverkusen, knockout stages, Juventus, Chelsea, everyone's like, oh, you got no chance. Even the final, AC Milan, everyone said, you've got no chance. And, and time and time again, that group of players turned up and, and produced an unbelievable memory and memories that year for the supporters and for the history of Liverpool. Benitez, we got the impression as fans that he, he looked difficult to work with. I'd say, as a local, because he used to be very cold with Gerrard from what you'd see. What was he like to work under? And do you feel the same way about Benitez and the way he managed? Top manager, top coach. Um, yeah, I, I think he really educated me in terms of tactically. You know, the game was moving on a lot more when Rafa came in and he, he did things that I'd never, I'd never seen before. You know, we started training sessions by going through where we had to be on the pitch, with and without the ball. That, that was completely new to me, but it was learning how to make it difficult for the opposition to cause them problems. It, it was genius. It really was from, from Rafa. It was boring. Of course it was, but it was genius how, how he did that. So, but he was ruthless. Yes, he was cold, but he was the manager. He had to make those tough decisions. And rather than some managers who maybe get maybe too close to players, Rafa wasn't like that. He was like, I'm in charge. And these are the decisions I'll make. This is what I want from you. And that's the way it was. So um, I really respected him. He was honest with me. So I quite... I appreciated that. And, you know, he gave me a few games, so I'll always be forever grateful for that. And Istanbul, probably one of, if not the best night of many of our lives, other than the Premier League win and possibly Madrid for those. You played a massive role in getting us there. 
So talk me through the game because I don't know if I'm right in saying I think you had an operation not long before. Is that right? You were yeah, in the stands yeah. that game. Yeah, yeah, what was yeah. it like being in the stands? Cool rollercoaster of emotions, wasn't it? Um, yeah, I'd had a double knee operation, so I was I was out of action for it turned out a long time. Um, but I was there to support my, my mates, my teammates. You know what? What you have to remember is, you know, they were the lads that I, I had breakfast with, lunch with, dinner with. You know, shared rooms with these were not just teammates; these, these were mates, my colleagues. So, I was desperate for them to um, to obviously win the biggest game of their lives. We were written off. AC Milan were a top side back then, and obviously, when when we when we got to the game, it was a bit like, "Cool, what's going to happen?" I'm just happy to be here, but no, we could win the Champions League. Um, that first half was was horrible. It was painful. I was angry. I was upset. I was I was like, "What? Well, get me out of here!" You know, I'm sure a few Liverpool fans were like that, thinking. Yeah. I'd take 3-1 at half time. I was thinking, I just don't want it to be embarrassing. This this could really, really hurt us. Um, and I was, I was actually sat next to big Chris Kirkland and he was like, I'm getting a bet on. I want We're going to win this. I, we're going to win. I'm going to get a bet on. Obviously, he couldn't get a bet on, but um, he was adamant. And I was thinking, I know goalkeepers are crazy, but that's the craziest <laughs> thing I've ever heard. Um, but the second half was unreal. It, it, I mean, the goals were going in. Phil Thompson was behind me in the sort of the Sky Sports studio, banging on the window. And, and it was just, it was just, one of those moments and memories, I was there to experience, to see my mates achieve. So I think it's called the best ever comeback in football to me. And it, and, it, and it was, you know, teams will always claim their own. But for me, to come back from 3-0 down against that top AC Milan side was, was surreal. So when the game finished, we were desperate to get on the pitch. But the problem was, so were all the Liverpool fans. So the stewards were like, you're not getting on because we're in our Liverpool tracksuits. Um, but Morientas blagged us onto the pitch. We got onto the pitch. So when Gerard lifts the podium, um, lifts the trophy on the on the podium, we, we were in the back in the backdrop there with all the confetti. It was a surreal moment, but but obviously it was one of the best I, I ever experienced. How on earth have we come back into that game and beat them? Um, uh, yeah, and it was only 45 minutes as well. So, so obviously we were 3-0 down at half-time knowing that, yeah, we took the game to extra time, but to stop them, you know, the Kaka, Pirlo, um, Seedov, what, what a team, Shevchenko, what a sight. It was just unbelievable, Nesta, Stamet. It was, it was, I mean, even Cafu, they were all at the peak of their their careers. That that was what made it such an unbelievable result. And yeah, people will talk about Barcelona and, you know, for the fans that were inside the stadium, that, that will go down as one of our greatest comebacks. Of course it will. It was unbelievable. Um, but yeah, for, for that AC Milan, to do it in a final as well, knowing that we won the trophy was extra special. Speaking of um, mad moments in that game, Jersey Dudek, how did he save Darren? What did the lad say to him after that game? Cardi's nickname was... Um... Just the best save I've ever seen. Um, I think it was the 118th minute, so it was right at the end. Yeah. There was no comeback if that goes in. The double save, I mean, probably the first one you'd say, yeah, expect him to save the second one. I, I don't understand how he's got that much strength in his arm to stop the power from Shevchenko from such cl- close range. It, it was unbelievable. I mean, do you know what? Jersey was a top lad. He was a great lad and it was a brilliant moment for him. Um, but he was really well liked in that dressing room. So obviously we, we had a few beers after and celebrated that moment. What was the night like? Do you know what? The game finished about one o'clock in the morning, whatever it was. By the time we left the ground, it was probably two bells in the morning. We went back to the hotel and, and, and back when we won the trophies and I was fortunate to experience a few in Liverpool. We put the trophy in the middle of the dance floor. There'd be a big buffet. There'd be a free bar and we'd just get smashed. 
but it was like three, four in the morning by the time the party started. So, so that was the big difference. Usually in previous cup campaigns, uh, when we've won it, started before midnight, but because the kickoff was delayed to so the English audience were in Turkey, um, that was why it was so late. So the lads were shattered because they'd put so much in emotionally to the game, 90 minutes extra time, the penalties, the celebrations. So I've had madder nights, but it was just... It was incredible to see that Champions League trophy on, on the dance floor and everyone taking pictures and, and dancing away. I've been looking through some of your stats and you remember it more than anyone. Mentally, how did you deal with the injuries that came with football? Because I know it weren't just any just simple injuries like a pulled hamstring or a twisted knee or a twisted ankle. You tend to have big injuries what took you out the game for a long time. So how did you deal with that? Difficult, yeah. Um, it's probably one of the hardest bits of football because... I knew I, I had the ability, but because of the injuries that hampered me from the age of 16 when I signed for Liverpool, I got 10 in 10 for the youth team and I had a stress fracture. I was out for seven months, couldn't couldn't run, wasn't allowed to run for seven months. I was like, how am I going to make it as a player when lads who are behind me are now going ahead of me? But I was like, all I want to do is be a football player. So there was no shortcuts for for the rehab, listen to the physio, do exactly what was needed to get back. And then my knee injuries, what did I finish with? Seven, I think, in the end, in, in both knees. It was tendonitis. Then the surgeon missed the chondral defects. So every every time I'd, I'd want to play, my knee would always be swollen. So I'd either have to get an injection to take fluid out or an in painkilling injection just to play. Tablets all the time, every day, just to get through training. So when I scored the goal against Arsenal, which, which was a great moment for me personally, I've had an injection before that game because I'm in bits. My knees are in absolute bits before that game, but I've managed to get through it. I've scored a goal, a memorable goal. So yeah, I, I wish, of course I wish I'd have had no injuries, but that was the cards I was dealt. I had to get on with it and it hampered me. After my last surgery, the surgeon said, you ain't going to play at the top level again. Your body cannot handle it. So I drifted down to the championship where I had a few years, which I really enjoyed. The frustration was that I couldn't fulfil the ability. Um, I felt comfortable around players like Steven Gerrard, Cara, some, some of our first team players. And I was trusted in that environment, but because of the injuries that it set me back. And unfortunately for me, it, was, um, it wasn't to be in terms of how much I could have achieved, but I still got to be a professional football player. So grateful for that. But when you are injured, it's horrible, it's lonely. Uh, and the mental side is you've got to focus on, right, okay, what can I do to get myself better? Rather than sulking and feeling sorry for myself, thinking, oh, I can't play football. Will I ever play football again? You've just got to focus on, yeah, I'll get, I'll get back playing. And I've just got to do these exercises and just do small targets to, to get back playing. And that was that's what it was for me. Considering you had these injuries and obviously top-level football is professional football. So to carry on and score the goals and the, put the performances you did. It must have been great anyway. Yeah, yeah. But but there wasn't one game in my career where I was like, oh, I feel great. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm taking tablet or injection just to get through games. And that was the way it was for me. Um, but yeah, it you know, the highs, you know, when I was stood in front of the cops scoring that goal against, I wasn't thinking about my knees. I was thinking about, oh my God, this is unbelievable. Um, but then as I jogged back to the halfway, I was like, I'm in bits here. I've got a question, which is, it's a question I've always thought about. And it's a it's a sensitive question. It might be one we dismiss. It might be something that you didn't really think about. You signed for Sheffield Wednesday. Now, my thoughts of Sheffield Wednesday is the first thing I think about is Hillsborough. Now, the reason I think about that is the ground, the stadium name. Every time I hear it, I get a weird, horrible feeling in my stomach. When you sign for them, did anything ever come into your mind about that? As in the ground itself or everything around that yeah aware of it um i think what was different for me was that my dad had played for sheffield wednesday before the tragedy 
So, so he'd experienced times there and he was really well liked and the fans still sing sort of about one of his famous famous games, Boxing Day, Sheffield Wednesday. So for me, I had to try and mentally think about my dad's experiences. Otherwise, I, I probably would have struggled more at Sheffield Wednesday because of obviously the Liverpool links, well aware of that and, and obviously um, the devastating effects uh, effects it's had on the football club, the families, the city. As a young boy at Liverpool, 16, 17, 18, I'm aware of what Hillsborough means to the football club. And even now, you know, years on and, and the injustice that certainly the fans, the, the families have had. But when I was there as a professional football player, the focus is, is on playing football and trying to block out things like that. Because otherwise, I'm going to struggle to play. Mm-hmm. But aware of it, there's no doubt about that. Um, but because of my dad's past, I was more thinking about his time there rather than obviously the tragedies, the tragedy that happened. And also, I, w- I wasn't there at Ellsworth now, now being around Liverpool fans all my, all my adult life. And some of the stories are here and how that's affected them. It's really upsetting. It really is upsetting. And had he been there on that day then I probably would never have wanted to play at Hillsborough. But because I wasn't, then it was like, I mean, I was, what was I, five or six when it happened. So mm. it was, was a young boy, but but still was well aware of that. And um, yeah, I, I mean, we, we can't change what's happened, but it's um, a tragedy which which affected our, our football club and city. Yeah, and, you know, I wasn't sure on asking that question. The reason is obviously how sensitive it is to us all, um, not only to players, ex-players, fans, people who've lost their lives. So I always tend to think about how people like deal with that situation. So obviously a difficult subject. You're working in the media. You're hosting on LFC TV, which is great. You seem to travel anywhere and everywhere from the biggest to the smallest grounds on Soccer Saturday. What made you want to get involved in media work and how are you finding them called Tuesday nights in Barrow? <laughs> <laughs> I love football, first and foremost, whether it's the Premier League, the Champions League with Liverpool or League Two with Barrow or... Conference North with Chester. I, I, I love all levels of English football and, that, and that's where my passion is. So um, I'm a big believer that we all have an opinion on football. I don't think there's any kind of right or wrong, whether you played the game or not. We all love the game and, and that's where my passion is. I never fancied the coaching. I always preferred describing a game, a goal, and some people would see it differently, but that, that's where my passion is, football, and I love it. Even though it's freezing at Barrow and it's nil-nil, I still get a buzz off going to those games. I really do enjoy it. Brilliant. Lastly, before we move on to the quick fire round, Liverpool, the season so far, it's been hit and miss. One minute you think, oh, this is the turning point. The next minute we crash back down to earth, basically. So from now onwards, what do you think is a successful season for Liverpool? Cool. We've had some great years, haven't we? Yeah. You know, since Jürgen's arrived, he's turned us into one of the best teams in the world. Uh, we were world champions under him, won the Premier League, Champions League, FA Cup League. We've had some great times and I suppose the frustration this season is that we're not competing for the Premier League title. We are way off the pace for that. So the realistic ambition would be in the league top four, um, which secures Champions League football next season. I think the Champions League is a trophy we've enjoyed over the last few seasons. Three of the last five finals we've been in. Um, and we will be one of the, the sides that people that people don't want to face. Real Madrid, tough game. But I'm looking at that, that saying we, we can beat them. We should have beat them in the final last year. We played so well in the final against a top side. And after the game, thinking, have we not won that game? That's how far we'd come. So it's not been great this season. I think our away form can improve. I think conceding the first goal has been costly this season. But with the players we have, you're thinking we could still go on a, on a great run, get in the top four. And who knows with the Champions League, you just never know. But we like that competition. I would love us to uh, obviously win it in Istanbul, isn't it, again this year. Mm-hmm. I'd love another Istanbul memory. And I mean, I, I believe in this group of players that we could genuinely win it. 
good answer. Let's come back to this in May and June, and hopefully yeah. we've got that. <laughs> tough game. Real Madrid's a tough game. It's not going to be easy, but I'll play them in the final. It was only Courtois. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Most, most saves in a Champions League final ever. We are now going to do a quick-fire round with our guests. This could be very controversial. Lastly, quick-fire round. Quick questions, quick answers. Try not to think too much. Messi or Ronaldo? Messi. Easy. Uh, Ronaldo is United. Lovely. Tiger Woods or Tiger Beer? <laughs> Tiger Woods. Unbelievable, wasn't it? Copa Mundial or Preds? Copa all day. Although my goal against Arsenal was was Preds. I blacked them out, but they were, I was wearing Preds that day. Hole in one or a last-minute winner? <sighs> last-minute winner in front of the cop. And lastly, Anfield or Detail? Ah, uh, love both, but but Anfield has given me Anfield gave me my my career, didn't it? Yeah, perfect. Right, that's a pod. Thanks very much for today. Um, love it, no problem at all. Appreciate you coming back to me and getting this done because I appreciate how busy you are. So, just want to wish you all the luck in the media work and hopefully a good season for the Reds. It was nice to be asked. I always enjoy interaction with the fans, um, and obviously a little chat, a few memories to uh, that stirred up. So it was nice. Thanks. You're welcome. Right. Have a good one. Speak to you soon. Right. All the best. Keep in touch. Thanks to everyone for listening in to today's podcast. And thank you to our amazing guests. Without them, this wouldn't be possible. Don't forget to follow us on social media, twitter.com forward slash the road end pod. And on Instagram, Instagram slash the road end pod. 